Hello and welcome to I Heard It on a Podcast, our little corner of the Wild West. My name is Riley. And my name is Isaiah. And it's Topic Thunder. It's our favorite day of the week. This is Topic Thunder! <laughs> Beautiful. Um, and today is a special Topic Thunder because it is the last Topic Thunder of 2020. It is the last episode of 2020. It is the last episode of 2020. Tomorrow is New Year's Eve. I hope you all have great, fun, COVID-safe parties planned. Mm -hmm. I hope you have reflected on your resolutions and your goals and your predictions for this coming year after listening to last Monday's podcast. Or you didn't and you just are going to see what happens. Yeah. Or you haven't heard that podcast and you should go listen to it now and then come back to this one. Or don't. We or don't care. do whatever you want because <laughs> it's your life. Live your life. Okay. So today for our final episode of the year, we have... An expose, or whatever you will, on winter camping because we both got presents for Christmas yeah. that are applicable to this activity. So we're going to talk about that. We also have um, me convincing Riley to get into, well, I say get into mechanical keyboards. Most that people would say really boring. buy a mechanical keyboard, yeah. but I'm going to convince you to get into it as a hobby and oh, like, wow. be passionate about this because... I thought this was crazy too, and now I'm kind of like a little bit passionate about You're kind this. of a fanboy, for, a, a okay. little bit, yeah. And thirdly, because it's New Year's Eve, Eve, we're going to be talking about weird New Year's traditions, and also maybe a little bit of our personal New Year's traditions, which also might be weird. Who knows? We're not going to know. Until I mean, we you're get a weird guy. It. <laughs> it's true. Yep. So I might have some weird traditions, but. Let's start off today with getting into winter camping. So let's talk about what we got for Christmas. Riley, what did you get for Christmas? In general, or you want the the winter camping specific one? Let's go general first, okay. and then we'll get into winter camping. Okay. Well, one of the things that I got that I'm most excited for is a Staub Dutch oven. So Staub mm, is like a... cast iron? Yeah, a cast iron Dutch oven. So I've been wanting cast iron cookware for a while now, like since early college, so several years, and I've been hesitant to get it because it needs a certain level of care. You can't necessarily just throw it in the dishwasher or let it soak overnight. Right. Um, and it needs to be seasoned every once in a while, whatever. That could be another podcast if we really <laughs> want <ovens>. to. <laughs> um, yeah, cast iron care, <laughs> zero listeners. Um, but... This, the, so I haven't gotten one for myself because I didn't want to put the burden on my family or my roommates or whatever. Like, hey, this pan is special. Yeah, don't touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> or if you do touch it, you have to scrub it with this kind of brush and then put this oil on it and heat it up to this temperature and whatever. So I just didn't deal with it. But my mom got me this Dutch oven, nice. uh, and Staub is a nice brand. Uh -huh. It's like, I would argue, one of the two best. There's Le Crusette. Yeah, and Staub are, I think, both French brands and both used in professional kitchens. The Ferrari of Dutch ovens. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> um, and I think it's almost 10 inches wide. And I, uh, the, this is, <laughs> I love this. This is great. <laughs> you, you've baited me into talking about <laughs> cookware. Anyway, um, I'm excited about that. Um, I got some other cooking stuff, a couple of books. Um, I got mm, oh, I got some binoculars. I'm excited about really? that. I used them today. We went on a walk on the uh, Pooter Trail. Nice. And I Pooter. saw some birds and some cows. What kind of binoculars? Um, <laughs> the kind to see far away. Okay, see, because you can get nerdy about cookware, but I can get nerdy about optical lenses. They're 10 times magnification. Okay. They're, so they're probably not like the fanciest or farthest away but i i've enjoyed them so far nice. did you uh well no you wouldn't have been able to because you got them on christmas i was gonna ask if you looked at the christmas star thing with them but mm. that happened before christmas so that's not no work. they're not like they probably wouldn't be any use for like astral yeah level stuff i tried to use my binoculars to look at the christmas star and they're like five times magnification and I was standing there with them, like on my eyes, looking up at the sky, and like I got them to like focus on the Christmas star, but then my hands were like so shaky because it's so yeah. far away that I like 
couldn't even make out anything. It was easier to look with my eyes. Yeah, so. I even like this today tried to look at a plane and I couldn't even find a plane <laughs> in the sky. That's awesome. So I need to either practice or just look at bigger things. things yes. <laughs> Or things that don't move, maybe. Too. It wasn't even like a commercial plane. It was like a crop a duster or something. <laughs> it was close. It oh, was just man. I couldn't find it in the sky because it was just all blue. Huh. And you know how it's like There's you no hear reference. it and it's yeah. far. It's different uh-huh. than where you hear it. Yeah. So that's why a lot of people who do outdoorsy things and want to track moving things use monocles instead of binoculars or a monocular. I guess is what it's called. <laughs> a monocle. monocle. Yeah, that's like the right word. Chain. <laughs> Like Mr. Peanut. Oh, where's where's that? Where's the deer? Elk. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that way you can have one eye that's like magnified, and the other eye is like your awareness eye. Oh. So then you can just kind of keep both your eyes open and look around. So there you wow. go. Pro tip. Anyway, continue. Okay. And the thing that I got that you originally asked this yes. question for is that I got a winter sleeping bag. Ooh, fancy. So it's rated to zero degrees, and the brand... Uh, let me pull up a picture. I forgot what brand it is. It's Kelty, right? Kelty. Kelty yes. is a very nice brand for sleeping bags. Thanks. You're and welcome. My, my mom got it for me. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so yeah, it's... Like a kind of mummy style. I would call it like half mummy. It's not super tight to my body, right. but it is kind of like tapered at the foot mm-hmm. and it has a hood and it's orange, which oh. is my favorite color, maybe. Maybe. We're still waiting on that. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, I'm excited to use it. it. I think it's like comfort rated to zero. There was only okay. one, it just said zero right. normal. So I think that's. Comfort, comfort rating. Yeah, so I think it technically could be colder and right. I would like live, but... Which we're going to talk about that. Yeah. We've talked about it a little bit before in our camping discussions, yeah. but since it's an expose on winter, we're going <laughs> to yeah. talk more about that. <laughs> winter sleeping bags, exposed. Exposed. Okay. You'll never believe what Isaiah, you'll see. what did you get for Christmas? Well, I got a super amazing ring that my wife bought me, which oh. is not here yet because oh. shipping. Um. And I also got her a bunch of stuff, which is also not here because of shipping. So it's kind of funny because neither of us had anything like physical to give each other on Christmas because it was all just delayed. And so you we just both, showed each other like shipping receipts. We both basically <laughs> like she pulled up the ring on my computer and I pulled up the stuff that I bought her on my phone. And then we like opened our presents by putting in the passwords on the devices and then it like popped up and was like, here's your present. So wow. it was it was unique. But That's ceremonious. Um, so I got that which I'm very excited about. It's very nice. But the the biggest thing that we're going to talk about today is I also got a winter sleeping yeah. bag. I got a um, kind of the opposite. Riley kind of got like a, a boutique backpacking sleeping bag. Kelty is kind of a boutique sleeping bag brand who make like high quality but also more pricey stuff. I forgot to say mine is four pounds. Yes. It, it, and it's, you know, it's made out of space age fabrics and it's, scientifically engineered to be warmer. I got one made by Browning, which if you don't know is a gun company. They basically just make rifles and shotguns. <laughs> and and uh, sleeping bags. And apparently. sleeping bags, which this is like the opposite of that. There's not really anything scientific about this sleeping bag. Mine's rated to negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit, which is coincidentally, I think, like negative 32 Celsius. So it's pretty close. They're reaching that kind of unifying point but that's not important my sleeping bag Celsius isn't important no no we don't use the metric system or anything like that not on this podcast nope (laughs) um but my sleeping bag weighs 13 pounds it's four feet wide by seven foot long it fits enormous yeah we got it out before this mm -hmm, it fits into a bag about the size of a table and it's kind of the exact opposite of Riley's sleeping bag. So mm-hmm. we're excited to try these out. We're trying to figure out a time when we can go skiing slash camping and put them to the test. Be very outdoorsy. Be very outdoorsy, yes. But we both kind of got basically the same present for Christmas, which is exciting because mm-hmm. we both talked about this a lot in other episodes and just in our general lives about how we really want to get more into camping and like being more outdoorsy and having these unique experiences that are rare that people can't really have everywhere. And here in Colorado, you need a, you can only use a summer sleeping bag for what, four months of the year? Yeah, maybe. So you need a 
different kind of sleeping bag to take mm-hmm. advantage of the majority of the year. Yeah, because it's very cold and snowy here most of the time. Um, so we can now double our camping season, basically, yeah. which is great. But let's talk a little bit about winter camping. Let's talk about how you do it. Let's talk about the gear you need. Let's talk. This can kind of be a preparation for us, too, because we're both <laughs> yeah. kind of like building up for this. So this <laughs> is going to be great. Look at our schedules now, too. Right, let's figure out when we're going to go. But basically, winter camping, if it's not obvious, is camping in the winter. Congratulations. <laughs> End you of learned podcast. something. <laughs> um, but this for obvious reasons can be more challenging and more extreme than summer camping. And this kind of depends on where you live. Like if you're you know, winter camping in Malibu, which I don't even think you can camp in Malibu, it's not going to be that intense. Or if you live in like, I don't even know, Texas, it's not going to be that bad. But then there's the opposite of that, where if you live in like the northern part of Canada or Alaska, you're basically always winter camping and it's super <laughs> extreme and you have to really know what you're doing or you could die yeah so we're kind of in between that it's definitely cold here but it's not necessarily necessarily to the point where if you make a mistake you're going to die within the next couple hours so that's good i'd say we have a good good balance yeah there. <laughs> that's nice to know um but you do have to take a lot of precautions when you're winter camping compared to summer camping mostly in regards to the gear you take you have to be very intentional about what you bring um because there is the possibility that you could become injured or wounded or die from exposure alone. And if you take any wilderness survival training in Colorado, the first thing it'll tell you is you need to find shelter before you find food or water because you're more likely to die of exposure, at least in this area of the country, than you are to die of starvation or dehydration. Hmm. So the shelter that you you know choose is very important, which our sleeping bags are going to be great for this. But so as you're planning winter, winter, I can't talk tonight. This is great. As you're planning a winter camping trip, um, the gear is probably one of the most important parts, along with letting someone know where you're going and when you're planning on being back. That's mm-hmm. just kind of a general guideline. You should always do that. Yeah, because as fun as it is to be isolated and kind of feel detached from the world, if no one knows where you are or when you're supposed to be back and you break your leg you're kind of screwed so tell someone where you're going tell them when you're going to be back and you will be a lot safer um so first things first let's talk about tents we're going to leave the sleeping bags for a little bit later so depending on where you are wanting to go winter camping you probably don't need a winter tent or a four seasons tent um most tents that you can buy from you know outdoors stores or sporting goods stores or walmart or whatever are going to be a three season tent um, and the only difference between a normal three season tent and a four season tent is basically structural rigidity. Um, and typically mm-hmm. this is to support, like if you get a lot of snowfall, it's to stop it from caving in on you. Or if it's super windy, it's to stop the wind from blowing the tent in on you. And they do make some double walled tents where you have an inner membrane of uh-huh. the tent and then an outer membrane and in between there's air and so then you get a little bit of insulation and air gap from mm. the outside so that's really nice if it's you know if you're getting into the negative temperatures and it's going to be windy you might want something like that just to give you a little bit of buffer and to keep the air inside a little bit warmer but for most people in most parts of the country you need a just a three season tent most places don't get enough snowfall overnight to collapse the tent Um, and most places aren't windy enough, or you can mitigate wind by setting up in trees or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you can basically just use any normal camping tent, which is great because we have normal camping tents. We also, the rooftop tent that we've used before is kind of like a six season tent because it's got like (laughs) aluminum pole, like structure and it's It's 200 pounds. Yeah. We're not worried about that in our situation, but if you are wanting to follow along and go winter camping with us, you can use a normal tent. So, boom, check that off your checklist. Any questions? That is good to know because I'm guessing that those double membrane ones or our four-season tent is pretty expensive. I mean, normal they, tents are pretty expensive yeah, anyway. They are very expensive. Um, and since they're so niche, most casual campers don't go camping in the winter. Mm-hmm. You're automatically kind of buying into the professional level of gear, so there's not a budget level necessarily. Yeah. Because you can buy very expensive you know, 
even single season like summer tents that's just mesh and a rain fly you can still spend you know a thousand dollars on that if you want to but most people would you know pick up a coleman tent from rei or whatever for a hundred bucks but in winter camping there's not that economy of scale so you're basically stuck with buying a boutique um professional level Mm -hmm. piece of gear and spending you know fifteen hundred dollars or whatever on it i was actually looking at canvas tents because Canvas tents are kind of the old-fashioned. That's what they would have used in the covered wagons coming across or like in the Old West with the cowboys mm-hmm. or they used to use them in Boy Scouts in the old days a lot. And they're just really durable and they're really well insulating and you can um, actually have, you know, small wood fires in them in like a stove or something. And so they're really nice for winter mm. camping. And a lot of people who do this often will end up investing in a canvas tent just because they're so much more comfortable and so much more easy to use kind of in winter but they're like four thousand dollars for like a piece of like waterproof canvas and some poles so we should get into that market we'll talk about that later because there's obviously money to be made there but tent wise we're going to be okay with our normal tents so let's move on to sleeping bags so this is kind of what we're both most excited about now because Mm -hmm. we're in sleeping bags but um you're going to want a sleeping bag that has a comfort rating of the lowest temperature you're going to be sleeping at. And what this means is um, if you want to not freeze your butt off all night, you need to have a comfort rating at the lowest temperature because sleeping bags are kind of rated officially into two categories. There's a comfort rating, which is the lowest temperature that you will be able to be comfortable at. And then there's the survival rating, which is the lowest temperature that you will be able to not die of hypothermia at. And this is, is kind of confusing and this is the biggest probably the biggest reason people don't enjoy winter camping is because of marketing misdirection and Mm -hmm. they buy something they think is adequate and it's not because a lot of sleeping bags will say oh i'm a negative 10 degree sleeping bag so people just see that in the marketing they're like great i am ready to go camping up to negative 10 degrees which is mostly not true especially if you're buying a cheaper budget sleeping bag it's probably a negative 10 survival rating and not a negative 10 comfort rating. And even then, it's probably not an official negative 10 survival rating. Right. It's rated. I mean, the rating, from what I've researched, there's not really an official rating system. It's rated by the company itself, which is, that varies depending on yeah. what country they're in and how they've created their rating system. And the rating system is different for men and women. Yep, it is. And it's also different based on your body size mm-hmm. and how long the sleeping bag is. Like, it's very varied. And there are a couple of organizations in the US that will kind of uh, review these ratings and kind of give them like a stamp of approval. But it's rare. And nothing that you're going to buy in the budget range is going to have that. It's yeah. all going to be higher end name brand stuff. Um, so, really, the best way to kind of get around this is to read good reviews on the stuff you're looking at buying. Mm-hmm. You can't go off of the description. You can't go off of the marketing. You have to find someone who's tested it, who's not affiliated at all, and make sure that that's actually you know comfortable. Because there have been people, like, you might love winter camping, and it's actually possible to stay really warm while you're doing it, but if you bought a bag that was inadequate, then you might get turned off for the rest of your life. So yeah. make sure that you do some research into that. Um, make sure you read reviews that are third-party reviews. Um, and you kind of have to be okay with the fact you're going to have to spend most of your money on a sleeping bag mm-hmm. because they are a lot more expensive. You know, if you are wanting to get into summer camping, you can buy a sleeping bag for 50 bucks, and you're going to be okay. It's not cold. It's just kind of a comfort thing. It's going to keep the, you know, the nippiness out. But with winter camping, you're kind of, you know, trusting your life to this thing over the period of the night and so you really do need to (laughs) make sure that's adequate so Mm -hmm. spend your money on a good sleeping bag and there's basically two categories there's synthetic filled sleeping bags and then there's down filled sleeping bags and the short gist of it because i don't want this to just be a sleeping bag review episode (laughs) is that you you want one that's down filled if you want to spend money and you want extra warmth or if you want to be cheaper and have a little bit more weight and a little bit less insulation, you can go synthetic. And so that's just kind of a personal preference. That's pretty much it. And then other than that, you're going to want to make sure you have, you know, a good jacket, snow pants, boots, gloves, all the kind of normal 
if you've been skiing or snowmobiling or whatever, that kind of gear. And one of the biggest tips that I had ever heard about winter camping is to go to bed before the sun goes down, which seems counterintuitive because in the summer when you're camping, you want to stay up past the sun going down to when it's dark so you can have a fire and like make s'mores and kind of have that campy atmosphere, you know, with the 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 singing the songs around the campfire and making s'mores and all that fun stuff that we associate with camping. But if you do that in the winter, the temperature drops so, so fast when the sun goes down, mm-hmm. you know, 30 or 40 or 50 degrees sometimes, it'll just plummet. And if you're not in your sleeping bag, like getting that heat up, you're going to have a tough time because even if you go to bed right as the sun's going down, if you lose that body heat as the sun's gone down and you're outside, you're going to have a lot harder of a time kind of recouping that in your sleeping bag. So the biggest tip is to go to bed while you're still warm and while it's still light out so you can start to heat your sleeping bag and not freeze. (laughs) Also fill your Nalgene with boiling water. and and put put it it at your feet. Yeah. And you'll just be so happy. Yeah. So we might not have to do that anymore, though, with our sleeping bag. (laughs) I guess we'll find out. (laughs) Oh, man. Anything else you want to talk about winter camping? Yeah, one, one more thing. Okay. Those like propane heaters that you Mm. put in your tent. Yes. We had a conversation about this, not on the podcast, Uh just in our life. And one, they sound really great, but Mm -hmm. also we talked about like the fumes that they give off and you have to vent your tent in a certain way so you don't die in your sleep from dioxide poisoning. Uh Can you... Sure. Can you... Well, first off... Yeah, I'll tell you about that. First off, it's crazy how many different ways you can just innocuously die in your sleep while you're camping (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not going to happen it's rare but there are a lot of ways that you have to be aware of but yeah these are basically just small um, propane or butane powered heaters that you they're theoretically indoor safe um, and the general advice is you can you know run them in your tent as long as you keep it away from the walls and as long as you don't have it on continuously while you're sleeping because for the most part, they burn pretty cleanly. They've had a good, you know, good engineering put into the types of fuels they use and how they ignite them and kind of the combustion chambers on these things and stuff like that. And they will heat your tent up to be pretty warm, um, but you just can't run them because if for some reason there is low oxygen in the tent from the combustion or if something goes wrong, if there's like a crack in the fuel line or something, you can have carbon monoxide released or you can have propane released and that's just something that you know would kind of kill you which is bad so they're great (laughs) my advice use for this would be you know run it for 30 minutes as the sun's going down to get your tent warm so when you're transitioning into bed you can be warm and then turn it off and then when you wake up in the morning relight it but vent your tent a little bit so open a flap and just kind of get the screen exposed so you can get a little bit of air moving in just to kind of clear it out and run it, you know, for 20 minutes so that when you get out of your sleeping bag, you don't freeze and you can get dressed and then turn it off again. So they have been used overnight without issues, but to me, it's not worth the risk. And then you save your fuel longer so you can yeah. be warm more times. <laughs> That's how I, I would want to do it too. doesn't seem worth the risk. Yeah. Because you can't really tell if there's like a gas leak. No. I mean, you can smell it, but if it's, uh, well, if it's a, carbon monoxide yeah there's no indicator for that and even with because the reason you can smell it like if there's a gas leak in a in a building is because they add add sulfur to make it smell like rotten eggs and depending on the fuel you buy it might not have a sulfur additive Mm. so it's possible you don't even smell it and with carbon monoxide you're just going to start getting sleepy which when you're going to bed is is bad (laughs) so yeah don't risk running those overnight but I, I feel prepared. I'm really excited to go winter camping. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. One one more thing. Okay, okay. So if you go to bed before the sun goes down and the sun goes down at like five, yeah. does that mean you just lay in bed for like five hours before you fall asleep? I mean, I go to bed at 11. Yeah, so it's definitely kind of a shock, especially if you're just doing like a one night or two night thing. But the idea with this is, Anything activity-wise you do, winter camping is going to be very strenuous. Like the times that I've been winter camping, I've actually been winter camping a lot. And I was going to tell a story, so we might have to stick on this for a little longer. But if you're, for example, snowshoeing with a backpack, 
to your campsite, snowshoeing is like 200% harder than just walking. <laughs> uh-huh. And so you're going to be a lot more tired and you're cold and you just kind of want to get in bed. So when I've been winter camping, I've gone to bed after the sun goes down, which I wasn't heeding the advice. It was, you know, in Boy Scouts and all of the, the older guys, like the leaders are like wise to this and they go to bed early and then all of the kids are like staying out and then they get their pants wet from snow and then their pants freeze and then oh, they're man. sitting there like freezing and like crying. And we actually had a trip where <laughs> we had to cancel it and go home because they were having too much fun, like having snowball fights and like wrestling in the snow. But then when it started to get cold and all of their sweat and melted snow that was in their clothes started freezing, they were like so cold and they couldn't get warm. So we had to just like cancel it and go home. Because they were like, just their clothes were completely like frozen full of water. Oh, man. So don't do that. But I would say like something that I love in the winter is just getting in the sleeping bag. And it's dark outside, so it feels late, but it's not late. And so then I'll sit there, you know, with a book and I'll read for like four or five hours. And it's so quiet outside. And it just, you feel so cozy in your sleeping bag, knowing how much snow is around you. Like, that's part of the experience for me. Yeah. Kind of the more hibernative feel. Like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to eat food, I'm going to get cozy and just relax all relax night. Relax outdoors in um, the winter, yeah. And so it's very different from summer camping, but it's it's a fun experience. It's a okay. different experience, but it's fun. So I would say you, you'd obviously want to have something to do. I think if I had that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then it's fun. You don't want to have the mindset of, like, you're going to go and hang out by the fire and, you know tell stories and all that stuff. That's not you tell stories you in your sleeping bag. You can, like through the tent to your friend over there. Stories about the Yeti and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, one quick story. My ultimate winter camping experience, I think, before we move on to the next topic, is there was uh, one camping trip we did. I actually think this is the one that we called off, so it wasn't really even camping. But <laughs> um, there's a place in Colorado called... Uh, Cameron Pass and it's on top of the Continental Divide. It's where you are going over the mountains either east or west. Mm -hmm. And typically up there they kind of generally keep 12 to 14 feet of snow during the winter and then it'll dip down. But they basically have snow up there year round um, in some fashion or the other. But we went up there for a camping trip and we parked on the side of the road. We put on snowshoes. We walked like a quarter of a mile off which in snowshoes feels like a long, long way. And we get to the spot we decided to camp and you can picture like there's 14 feet of snow so the trees are pretty far buried and you're on snowshoes so you're sinking maybe six inches down um and you take off your snowshoes and you step off of them and all of a sudden you're up to your waist in snow it's just like so insanely deep crazy and the goal of this trip was to not camp in tents it was to camp in snow caves and so oh. what we did all day, we got there like in the morning at some point. And what we did all day is we had shovels and we dug down like a trench, probably four or five feet deep, kind of in a line along this clearing that we were in. And then everyone um, got their own shovel and they started like building snow caves off of this trench. So it was kind of like an apartment block of snow caves because <laughs> there's cool. like a hallway and then everyone has their own snow cave lined up next to each other. And so then all we did that day was just build our houses for the thing or whatever. And so I remember me and my dad dug out the snow cave and then um, we kind of built, you know, little beds off the ground a little bit. So we kind of carved beds into the walls and snow caves counterintuitively are actually really warm once you're in them because snow is a really good insulator. Mm -hmm. And so it was probably, you know, 14 or 15 degrees outside. But inside, you know, it would get up to maybe 40 degrees. Like it can actually get above freezing in a snow cave, which is crazy. Um, And so we dug out these snow caves and we like cooked our lunch on a stove inside the snow cave, like being warm. Like we ate our chicken and rice out of a pot. It was amazing. Um, And then we went over to visit some of the other snow caves and some of the guys had decided like they had built huge, just huge snow caves. And I was probably, I don't remember, I was probably, you know, 12 or 13 and I was kind of digging this out with my dad's help so we had kind of been going slower but some of the guys who were older had decided to like help each other out and so they built these huge snow caves and um so there were like groups of like six people sitting in these snow caves like eating lunch or whatever and I think this was kind of the point where we'd realized 
because this was the trip that we called off because people mm-hmm. got their pants too wet and were, you know, having too much fun <laughs> and then they started freezing. So they were this, like they decided to call it off. They're like, we're just going to go home. Um, and so then everybody had the idea to like demolish the walls in between all of our snow caves just to make a giant like snow cave. And then we we're going to eat like a snack and go home. And so it's probably one of the only times in my life I felt really claustrophobic because we're in these snow caves below six feet of snow and they just like start kicking the walls out and then passing these huge chunks of snow like three foot around out the the like the door holes. And so I'm sitting in this snow cave. They're like kicking down the walls that are holding the roof up. Yeah. And then they're putting these like big snowballs three foot around snow chunks that are the same size as the door like in the door and so for like five seconds every once in a while the door is completely closed the walls are being kicked down and you're just like sitting in this cave and so i kind of was feeling a little claustrophobic there but we were all good it didn't collapse and then at the end we ended up with this huge like 20 foot by you know, five foot tall snow cave and every, like all 30 of us are just sitting in the snow cave. That's amazing. Uh-huh. It was great. And so even though we didn't camp in it, that's still my favorite winter camping quote unquote experience wow. because it's just so unique. And that's something you can't really do most places. No, but I don't know if, I don't know how their snow is this year. I know because of global warming, thanks global warming, they've had less, mm-hmm. but I think we should try that sometime. Wow. I think we should go up there and dig a snow cave and camp in a snow cave. Oh man, that <laughs> I was transported. That was maybe my favorite story that I've heard. Um, that was in a long time. Nice. <laughs> that was so cool. So yeah, so there you go, winter camping. Wow. We need to do more of it. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> so I think we should do it sometime. I think you'd really enjoy it. I think so. And it's fun. It's nice. Because one of the things I always have trouble with camping is like once you've got your firewood and your tent set up, like a lot of times I don't know what to do. Like especially if you're not near a place where you can go fishing or kayaking or hiking, then you're just kind of sitting around and reading or whittling or just doing like random things. Singing a song. Singing a song. So that's something I loved is like we had this productive activity that we needed to do and it was kind of an all day thing and it was fun. So I, I do like winter camping a lot and we should go dig a snow cave this winter (laughs) okay now that we've burned half of our episode on winter camping yeah let's move on to our next topic which this topic is going to be short because i'm just going to convince you so quickly okay to buy a mechanical keyboard go for it yes so mechanical keyboards are and this is like a computer typing keyboard not like a musical keyboard just to be clear um mechanical keyboards are Keyboards that are mechanical. My definitions today are great. These are so descriptive. Basically, the way this works is a typical keyboard, like one of the older standalone keyboards we get for a desktop computer, is a silicone cap-based keyboard. And they basically have like a semi-sphere of silicone. And when you push the key down, that silicone will depress. It'll click like a contact so the metal will touch metal send the keystroke and then the silicone bubble if you will will rebound when you let go and push the keyboard back up so it's a very squishy gelatinous feeling keyboard and the thing that sends the message to type the letter k yes is is metal touching metal, metal. Touching metal. yes and sending an el- electronic yep. so signal. that would just basically be like a little pad of copper touching a pad of copper but most of what you're feeling physically when you're touching the keyboard is that silicone resisting as it pushes down and then kind of springing back up uh-huh. um then there's also keyboards like on our macbooks here that are butterfly or scissor keyboards or something of that sort and it's kind of a an x shaped piece of plastic that has springs or is resistive somehow so when you push down they flatten out but then they want to go back up and so the same thing they touch metal and then this the plastic pushes it back up um and these don't have a lot of travel like on a macbook there's like two millimeters of travel or whatever so they're typically very flat and they're compact but they don't necessarily like feel tactile you know they're not they're not the fastest keyboards to type on the keyboards are so flat and there's not much distinction between keys that it's easy to accidentally hit keys that you don't want to hit and since there's so little travel it's hard to tell 
when you've pushed a key. So sometimes you might double stroke or you might not stroke all the way on the keyboard. Um, and so I would definitely consider these keyboards, like the MacBooks keyboards, to be better than the cheaper silicone keyboards. It's still not ideal. Um, because if you look at, like, for example, my kind of gold standard for keyboard typing is a court stenographer. And they always have, you know, uh-huh. these huge, weird looking, like a typewriter type thing that's just got these weird prongs coming out and they type on it and sometimes they're sitting vertical so their hands are like vertical and they're typing on the sides of this thing and there's just so many weird ways that they've gotten really efficient but a lot of these people can type it like 200 words per minute like they're just super fast and they can basically type and keep up with people talking um and so that's kind of where mechanical keyboards come into the the picture here because a mechanical keyboard works Differently than both of these in the sense that I don't even know how to explain this without a diagram, but basically there's kind of like a hooked metal prong coming up from the keyboard and then there's a rim around the key. And so as the key goes down, it pushes the hook back and then it'll click over the top of the hook. And as soon as it passes the hook, that's when the contact clicks in and then the hook kind of pulls a little bit. And as it comes back up, it clicks again over the top of this hook. Um, And so the contact is actually built into the hook on a lot of these keyboards so that as soon as the the hook or the rib clears the key, it'll immediately contact and then come back up. And this has a really tactile feel. So give me a sec. I'm going to get you a keyboard and you're going to feel it. He's reaching over to grab his keyboard from his desk right now. He's, it's it's actually very pretty. It has like a rainbow thing going on, and I sometimes stare at it while he's talking about different kinds of keyboards. I can't figure out what to plug it in. Oh, no. Now he has to unplug everything from his computer. Oh, well. If you're thinking of uh, that other interesting podcast that was in your feed and you were trying to decide whether to listen to this one or that other one, this is a good time to click away and go listen to that <laughs> other one. <laughs> Because right, <laughs> don't leave. Don't we're gonna we're just one minute, and then you can listen to the sound of a mechanical keyboard. It's gonna be so, good. <laughs> it's gonna be so yeah. worth it. Just one second. He just got it unplugged. The suspense is killing you, I'm sure. And it's gonna be such a. It's like ASMR perfection. Okay, okay, I'll shut up. Okay, I'm coming back. Okay. Gotta get my headphones back on now. Okay, man. Uh, Isn't this episode riveting so far? Yeah. Okay. It's got something for everyone. So this is, I've got a mechanical keyboard here. Um, there, this is kind of a, a mid-range mechanical keyboard. It cost me probably $80. Um, yeah, I, okay. I hear that sigh. Um, but this one is, it's really nice. It's got like a full steel chassis so you can like, yank on it and it's not going to break. It feels very heavy. It's like metal all the way around. It has LEDs built in and you can make it do cool effects and it's very gamery. Um, but just, just listen to this. Hopefully you can hear it. Isn't that clicky? It's It's very clicky. So what that is, is that's, that's that little ribbed hump thing clicking over and you can hear it as I'll push down this key. It's very distinctive at one point. So there's a lot of travel, but then it clicks at one specific point. And it's that reason that makes these so fast for people to type on. So people who really need to type fast or kind of pride themselves on their fast typing will usually use a mechanical keyboard because the actuation of when the key actually has triggered the computer is so obvious that you don't even have to push the key all the way down. Like most people will just push until it actuates and then they can move on to the next letter. And so this is actually a really fast keyboard, especially if you want to type basically multiple letters at once. And so a lot of people will do that. Well, they'll have multiple fingers kind of push down, if you will, and they'll just kind of like move their wrists up and down, kind of like playing a chord on a piano. But because they can tell where the actuation is, they can have their fingers at different levels. So they can type a whole word basically just by like moving their arms up and down. So super crazy, but that's enabled because of this. Um, and you can get super nerdy into this. You can customize them by different oh, key, sure. key switches. They make ones that have different levels of ribbing or indentation or different 
levels of travel, different spring tensions for how fast they come back up, different noises, like see if you can hear the difference between this. So this is one type of key switch. And this is another type of key switch. Do you hear how that one's so much clickier? Yeah. So um, most of these key switches in my um, keyboard are called MX Reds, which is a brand. Oh, we're going there. Gosh. We're going there. Um, and they're not very tactile. They're kind of spongier, but they're not loud. <laughs> but the, the space bar, which is that second clicky one, are blue switches. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my Carolina <laughs> podcast. We have new episodes. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So blue switches feel a lot better, but they're also super loud. And we're going to get really in-depth here. Some offices have banned people from using keyboards with MX Blue switches because they're so loud. So, so some places have banned them, like some software development companies have banned those key switches. But I like them, so I put them in some of my things. But So if I'm like an average typer, do yes. you think I could actually become a, a m meaningfully faster typer? I I do. Oh, so so I'm, I'm going to give it to Riley. Yeah, it's very heavy. It's made out of all metal. Um, so I'm going to give it to Riley. You just type a little bit on it and kind of see how it feels. So these are taller key switches. These are kind of more like a key switch on an old, like a 90s computer. You know those old keyboards that have the really tall, like three quarters of an inch, almost an inch tall yeah, it does, keystrokes? It feels old. Uh-huh. So it's, it's something to get used to if you're coming from a MacBook, but they're very distinct separate keys like you can tell when you're on a different key uh -huh. and they're very tactile so it's very easy to tell when they've actuated and it takes some getting used to but after i've typed on this when i go back to type on my macbook i'm so much slower and i make so many more mistakes um the other really nice thing and one of the reasons that i bought this keyboard in particular is because um a lot of times the keys are remappable and so mm. if you don't want a to be a most mechanical keyboards you can remap what that key actually does and so you can either remap them if you don't like typing in QWERTY because you either are German or you don't like typing in QWERTY for whatever other reason because I think in Germany they use Dvorak which is a different like key layout but the, I think I just don't think fast enough for me to need a faster keyboard you know mm. I have to think about like how to spell words or like where the apostrophe is, okay, or things like that. But those could be things that you could practice and get better at. Maybe, but and it depends on like, like for your job and for my job. Actually, you don't really need to type faster. Like you're basically just sending emails and typing notes and stuff like that. Yeah. But there are a lot of jobs like if you're a um, captionist for TV or movies, or if you sure. are typing like transcribing audio records, then it. You really, your efficiency of your job is really dependent on how fast you're typing. And so then every little bit more that you can get is super helpful to you. Um, you can also program these keys to have like macros. So if you have a specific task that you do every day and it takes you five minutes, you can program it into a macro. You hit one key, it's done in two seconds or whatever. So they're really very niche and I can I think I can already tell what your answer for this is going to be, but they're very niche. They're very useful to a certain specific type of people and they're also very fun for people who are super nerdy like me and yeah. like like that sound. So, um if you could get one of these. So this is a wired one. This is a full thing with a 10 key. It's kind of not super practical. It's big, it's heavy. I like the 10 key. You like the 10 key? Number pad on the side. Okay. Yeah. That's something that I I mean, I have to punch in a lot of numbers at work, right? And I like having the uh -huh. thing, which on is the side. you can't get on a MacBook now. So. That's true. And my my work laptop actually does have one. Okay, of those. nice, nice. So, say you could get one of these, um, a mechanical keyboard. You could customize the feel of every key. You'd have a ten key. It wouldn't look as gamery as this. It would look more Apple-y, so like white and silver and minimal. It wouldn't be this tall either. Um, and it's wireless. Say you could get one of those for eighty bucks. Would you buy one? just for the 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 pleasure of using it, but also the slight speed improvement you would get? Mm. No. No? Okay. Well. It's not the first way I would spend $80, true. but there's a small possibility that I could pitch it as a uh, an improvement to my work efficiency and maybe have work yeah. pay for part of it. Right. So, 
So you would if work would buy it for you. <laughs> yeah. If, okay. If work would buy it for me, one, I don't even think I would ask. Right. But if they were like, "Hey, we've got money to blow. <laughs> what do you want?" Right. Maybe I would ask for that. Okay. After I ask for like another monitor and a faster processor. Right. And Photoshop. After you've upgraded everything <laughs> yeah. else. And that kind of is what it was for me. Like I already have. I mean, I'm sitting right by my desk now, and you guys can't see it, but I've got three monitors, and I've got studio reference speakers, and I've got you know a really nice PC, and I've got a mouse with separate buttons on the side to do different things, and I've got like a mouse pad that covers. So my setup was basically maxed out, and I was kind of like, what else can I upgrade? You know, like we talked about last podcast, like I'm pretty good now, but what can I do has better? A problem. <laughs> and so this is where I ended up, and. You'll probably believe this. There's a subreddit for mechanical keyboards that has oh, sure. several hundred thousand people. Hundred thousand? Yeah, kind of like the flashlight one we talked about that one yeah. time. So <laughs> there really is. I love Reddit. There really is a community for whatever you're into. Yeah. If you're into clicky mechanical switches, there are several hundred thousand other people who are there with you. So now that we've lost all of our listeners, <laughs> should yeah. we move on to our next topic? Let's just you and I talk about New Year's traditions. Okay, sounds good. So. Um, since I've talked most of this episode, why don't you kick us off? Tell me some of your personal New Year's traditions. Maybe like a top three personal okay. New Year's traditions. Um, I th- I don't think we have anything that like I would be real sad if this didn't happen every year. It needs to be a thing. But growing up, um, we had a standing New Year's party with the same couple families and. Something that we did almost every year was have it at our house, and we have a hot tub. You know, not to flex or anything, but oh wow, um, <laughs> it's nice to to have a hot tub with uh, like your friends. It's and just on, nice to have a hot tub in general. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, we would always get in the hot tub, and there's usually snow at New Year's mm-hmm. in this part of the world, and so we would usually get in the hot tub. And then jump in the snow and roll around in the snow, and then get back in the hot tub and feel that yeah. like weird tingly Classic. thing. Classic, I and, love that. You know, people say, "Oh, that's bad for your skin," or it'll give you a seizure or whatever. <laughs> I think I think it's okay. I've experienced it many times in my life, uh-huh. as have a lot of my friends, and we're all fine. Yeah, people also said cracking your knuckles is bad, but <laughs> yeah, show me the science. But I do it all the time on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so um, oh, I think it's. I, that's one of my like traditions. Yeah, um, we always have Martinelli's like sparkling cider uh-huh. or whatever. Yep. Um, even now that I'm old enough to drink champagne, I still prefer Martinelli's because that's what I had every year mm-hmm. growing up. Um, of course, we watch the ball drop. The yep. um, it used to be called what's his, what's that guy's name? Dick Clark, I think is his name. It, it used to be his show, and now I think it's. Ryan Seacrest? Is he the one that does it? Now? I don't watch TV. So. <laughs> well, I don't either, but it's the show that, yeah. like, the one the that New we tried Year's to watch show. last year. Yeah. It's the NBC, maybe, New Year's Eve show. Yeah. It's the famous one where they broadcast the ball dropping, and there's always famous people yeah. talking to each other. And you're like, what? who cares, man? Um, but. Oh, yeah. I remember trying to watch that last year. Yeah, it was a pain. get it to work. Because <laughs> um, we're two hours behind New York. And so if you don't watch it live, they just show you the recording. Yeah, and every if, time zone behind. And if you don't have a channel that rebroadcasts it, then you try to watch it on YouTube like yeah. we did, and you try to time it so that it happens at midnight. <laughs> it was just a pain. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, uh, I don't know what we're going to Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think those are some of our traditions. We don't have anything where it's like, we always eat this one thing, right. or we always do this weird tradition, right. anything like that. Do you? Um. Well, we definitely do. Would you say it's called Martinelli's? Yeah, the, that's a the brand. Juice. Yeah, so I I know how the logo looks, but I never realized what word it was. We always would do that, you know, like the sparkling apple or sparkling grape or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and I still like that's a traditional thing for me, even though I can drink wine and champagne now. Yeah. It's still fun to have those. Yeah. Um, also, when I whenever I open champagne, it goes everywhere. And I last time I opened a bottle of champagne, I dented our ceiling with the cork. <laughs> so that's not super fun, but. Um, we also growing up would always do fondue as a family and oh, like yeah. do cheese and chocolate yeah, and that. like that kind of stuff. That's and I love that. It's just such a like 
New Year's to me, when I picture it, like as a vibe, is just like a classy holiday. Yeah. Like that's the word I would describe New Year's as classy and kind of futuristic. And so fondue to me feels like a classy and futuristic food. That is a classy and futuristic food. Yeah. So that with your Martinelli sparkling apple, <laughs> yeah. just man, you're living the luxury life. Yeah. So those were kind of our main things. We, you know, watch movies or watch the ball drop or shoot off fireworks or whatever. But the two staples were always that sparkling juice and then fondue. I thought of one other thing. Okay. The sci-fi channel always has an F, uh, marathon of Twilight Zone episodes. Really? Like the old Twilight oh. Zone in black and white. And we always watch that. My aunt loves the Twilight Zone. And nice. so we always watch hours and hours of the Twilight Zone. Nice. Through New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. That's awesome. So I've grown to appreciate them, but I really didn't like them growing up. I bet. <laughs> um, some of them are actually pretty scary. Yeah, they're kind of, in a way, a horror show. Yeah. So, And then we also make this like weird special like long-grain rice soup that is like a New Year's Day thing now. I feel like I've had rice soup on New Year's Day too. Maybe that's like a thing. Maybe it's a thing. Hmm. Who knows? Well, we're going to find out because I have 12. 12. I was making sure it was actually 12. It is 12. 12, 12. Weird, weird New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve. Traditions, traditions around the world. Around the world. That was great. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to start off with the first one, which is called 12 Grapes of Luck. <laughs> In Spain and some Latin American countries, one New Year's Eve tradition is to eat 12 grapes, one for each month of the coming year to secure prosperity. Nice. But there's a hitch. You have to eat one grape with each bells strike at midnight so you know how clocks will strike like 12 at midnight you have to eat one grape every time that happens so this is like a fast pace like you have to shove these down and this is like a choking hazard yeah this says that the the best way to do this is to bite the grape in half and then swallow each half whole so like you're (laughs) just eating whole half grapes um and then they say you know typically you'll have a glass of champagne after you've eaten 12 grapes to wash it wash down. Wash the grapes down to with secure, grapes. Yeah, to secure the, the prosperity. Um, this tradition dates back to 1909 when wine or vine vineyard owners, that's hard to say, um, in this Italian town came up with this idea because they wanted to sell more grapes without having to make wine after they had a good harvest year. So hmm. they were basically like, we can't make enough wine to keep up with the grapes. Let's sell everyone grapes and say they have Just to eat 12 of them <laughs> to get prosperity. So that was pretty interesting to me. It yeah, doesn't fun. sound fun to eat 24 grape halves in like 10 seconds, but <laughs> we should try it this year. <laughs> yeah. We don't have any clocks that do a toll, though. Do you? The one downtown does. We could just go downtown <laughs> on New Year's Spend. Eve and eat grapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's even funnier if you know our town's downtown. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number two is wearing colorful underwear. Have you heard of this one? No. Okay. So in some countries like Mexico, Bolivia, and Brazil, the color of your underwear will determine what kind of year you'll have. So you have to pick like in advance oh. what type of year you want to have. So some... Color types are red, means you're going to have a love or romantic-filled year. Um, Yellow means that you'll have wealth and success. White means that you'll have peace and harmony. Green is well-being and nature. Um, So it sounds like you basically choose the type of year you want to have. Choose your own adventure with underwear. Yeah, and then you wear that underwear. So that's fun. Um, I think I only have black underwear. Underwear. This is getting personal. I think I only have black underwear, and black is not a choice, or it's either it could be. You'll bad. die that year. So <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I've not died yet. So <laughs> maybe it's just like the year, whatever comes that year is what happens if you wear black underwear. True. That would make sense. I think I should buy some yellow underwear, one set just for New Year's Eve, <laughs> so that every year I can have I wealth like and that. prosperity. <laughs> like these are my New Year's underwear. <laughs> I have all of those colors, so I can okay. pick. Maybe I don't have white, but I think I have the rest of them. So I, I think I might just decide. I need yeah. to think about it. What What were they again? So uh, red is love. Red is love. Green is yellow pros- is wealth. Okay. White is peace. Green is well being. Um, I'm sure there's more. Okay. My Isn't question, green all of those things kind of? Yeah. 
Kind of. But okay. my question is, can you stack them? Like, could you wear four <laughs> pairs of underwear and get all of these benefits? Oh, we should try it. Okay. You should wear four pairs of underwear this year while we're eating grapes downtown. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good look. We should do all of these and make a video of this, all 12 of these at once. And then they'll be like, or I heard it on a podcast New Year's. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Number three is pouring lead. This happens in Germany. Um, and they use it to predict what is going to happen next year. Okay. So in Germany, people melt small pieces of lead into a spoon or they melt it in a spoon over a candle and then pour it into cold water, which then like hardens the lead it. and makes it into weird shapes. And those shapes are supposed to show you what the next year is going to happen. So it's like a example, Rorschach test. Yeah. For example, if the lead becomes a ball, then you're going to be lucky. But if the lead becomes a crown, you're going to be wealthy. But if it becomes a cross, you're going to die. And if it's a star, you'll be happy. So there's a lot of... Will it become a star ever? Does it ever become know. a star? I don't know. I guess... That seems crazy to me. We could, There's only one way to find out. Where do you get so, lead? <laughs> I mean, wheel weights from a car, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> so you steal lead from a, a wheel, and then you melt it in a spoon like a uh -huh. meth what addict. Crack it? <laughs> <laughs> and then pour it in some water to and, see your fate for yes. the year. <laughs> and then you drink that water and get lead poisoning. <laughs> so this is an interesting uh, tradition. Germany is weird. It's cool. They also Was type Germany? Dvorak. Yeah, okay. they have the weird keyboard layout there too. Ah, uh, weirdos. Sorry, Germans, if you're listening. Um, okay, number four, breaking a plate or two. Have you heard of this one? Uh, like Opa, that kind of thing. Uh, not really, no. Okay, keep going then. So this is a Danish tradition. Happens in Denmark. And... The tradition is to throw plates and dishes against a friend or a neighbor's doors. Uh, it's a popularity contest. So whoever has the biggest pile of broken dishes on their porch huh. next day is the most popular. Um, and they'll have the most good luck. It and doesn't happen as much. Clean up. Yeah, it doesn't happen as much nowadays. It's kind of more of a an older tradition. Um, now in Denmark, they jump off chairs at midnight instead which symbolizes leaping into a new year so they stop smashing dishes into each other's doors and jump off chairs instead now <laughs> i thought you were gonna say they throw flowers or something no now. they jump off chairs <laughs> <laughs> okay oh, man. okay number five is scarecrow burning um this happens in ecuador <laughs> these are good we need something like this um they <laughs> this seems weird they burn it's not weird well, it's just different they build this one seems weird they build scarecrows <laughs> that look like politicians pop stars or other notable figures and they burn them so they're basically burning effigies isn't that illegal in this <laughs> not country? in ecuador i don't know if it's illegal here but basically they're burning the old year and they're trying to destroy all of the bad things and cleanse for the new year so they will typically use old clothes they'll do a mask and they basically are trying to purify the old like bad stuff out of the year and give these people and their country you know new uh prosperity and new benefits i'm pretty sure though in this country if you built a scarecrow of the president and set it on fire yeah, that would be a that's bad political threat yes that's bad you would get investigated so that's one of the things that we're not going to do. <laughs> we're yeah. not going to burn effigies. <laughs> I could jump off of a chair. Yeah, that's easy. Okay, uh, number six, roundness. This is, I don't know if this is, it's a tradition, but it's kind of a weird just general thing. This happens in the Philippines. They basically, on New Year's Eve, just want everything to be round. So they, <laughs> they have like uh, round food. They wear clothes that have polka dots on them so that they have round clothes. Okay. Um, they will keep change, like coins, in their pockets because it's round money. And uh -huh. basically roundness just means like prosperity. And so they'll do everything they can to have everything on New Year's be like round, like circular. <laughs> okay. So there you go. Wear that one seems dots. kind of boring. It is, but it's just weird that it's not a specific thing. It's just roundness just Make in it all round. Everything round. <laughs> I want it all round. <laughs> okay. Um, let's move on to number seven, which is called first footing. 
And this happens in Scotland, but I think it also happens in other places in the world. It's kind of like a common superstition. Okay. But basically, um, the, so the you want to step through doorways with the right foot, right? So that's kind of the super superstition. But in Scotland, to take it farther, the the first person to walk through a door after midnight is called the. This is gonna be rough. The Qualfaga or Qualfaga. Oh, that um, can't be right. <laughs> that's what it looks like to me. It's Q U A A L T A G H. Qualfaga. I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> so basically, they hope. <laughs> I just don't understand. They hope the first person to walk over their threshold after midnight is going to be a tall, dark-haired male with coins, coal, bread, or salt because that will bring good luck for the house. Um, if <laughs> they say the tradition probably dates back to Viking because if it's a big, blonde stranger who comes through your door, it means you're going to have a troubled year. And so this dates back to Viking times when big, out. blonde strangers would come and did kill bring you strength, did bring trouble so it's just weird that like if you were this you know tall dark-haired dude people would want you they'd be like come like walk through my door at midnight <laughs> because you, <laughs> you actually go to luck. 10 different houses yeah <laughs> so that's an interesting one um it also says it helps if they bring whiskey that has more luck so scotch oh, you don't say weird um okay number eight is tossing furniture have you heard of this one no okay i actually had heard of this one before i started um it happens in italy um the model the model the motto of naples italy is out with the old and basically (laughs) they just throw their furniture off of balconies at new year's at midnight to symbolize like a new start so people will throw couches toasters fridges chairs their old stuff off of their balcony yeah off of their balcony um it says to prevent serious injuries most locals stick to small and soft objects but it's still a good idea to to watch where you're walking on new year's eve yeah (laughs) that seems dangerous oh man it's like that scene in les mis where they're building the barricade and they just throw everything out the windows Mm -hmm. or the scene in how i met your mother where that one crazy chick that he was dating throws all of his stuff out the windows. Yeah, the same thing, really. Yeah, basically the exact same thing. Okay, number nine is animal spirits. Um, this happens in Romania, and they basically will kind of dress up in animal furs and masks um, for specific types of animals and just dance around. Most people like to do bears um, because... According to their folklore, if a bear enters someone's house, it brings them prosperity. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't what, sound right. That seems wrong. I feel like they missed like a does not in there. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if a bear entered my house, I would not feel prosperous. It would not bring prosperity. <laughs> I would say, oh, dang, <laughs> I need to get out of here. <laughs> so that's Romania. They missed a do not somewhere in yeah. their tradition. Does not bring prosperity. <laughs> Okay, uh, number 10 is mass kissing. Um, so well, you, we do that. You've heard the tradition of like kissing someone at midnight. Yeah. This is mass kissing. So this is... Like at mass? Like the, no, the this is like, Catholic religious gathering? No, this is like kissing as many people at once as you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they'll gather like in squares. Like five people leaning in and just... Yeah, they'll gather at squares and they'll just kiss as many people as they can at midnight. I hope that's not happening this year. No, please don't do that. That happens in Italy. Um, They had it pretty bad, so hopefully this doesn't happen. Um, It's still a weird tradition. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't just go stand in a crowd of people and get my kiss on. Get your kiss on. Um, Okay, we're getting to the end here. Number 11 is the potato drop. Can you guess where this happens? Ireland. No, actually. That's a good guess, though. It happens in Idaho. Oh. So, the other potato okay. place. Um, this is... Le- okay, so this says it's less traditional. This has been happening for probably about 10 years now. Oh, okay. <laughs> but they... <laughs> um, they do it in downtown Boise. And uh, mm. they 
drop a giant potato from the sky. It's a 400 pound <laughs> glowing potato oh. um, that's internally lit. And they just they just drop it from the sky, like the ball in New York, but it's Idaho, so it's a giant glowing potato. Love There's it. also different drops in different regions that kind of are regional specific. Like, for example, in Brasstown, North Carolina, they drop a possum. Okay. M- make makes sense, I guess. Um, are these all like slow drops? I would assume, or do they just like drop a possum on the ground? Slow, like ball drop. I don't think there's like <laughs> like three, woo. two, one, <laughs> splat. <laughs> no, I don't think it's like that. Um, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, they drop a two hundred pound peep, like an Easter okay. marshmallow peep. Yeah. Um, and in Port Clinton, Ohio, they drop a giant fish called Wiley the walleye. Hmm. So. The ball to me is like, remember we talked about New Year's as like a classy holiday? <laughs> yeah. Then you go to Port Clinton and they drop a giant fish. Or you go to North Carolina and it's a possum. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh gosh. We've kind of moved away from the classiness uh. here. <laughs> okay. And then the final one from this list, number 12, is called 108 Rings. Um, and in Japan... Isn't that a they, song by... Uh... What's her face? Ariana Grande. That's yeah. seven rings. Oh. This is significantly more rings. Um, <laughs> so they, in temples all over Japan, will ring their bells 108 times to dispel the 108 evil passions that all human beings have, according to Buddhism. Oh. Um, they believe that the ringing of the bells will cleanse them from their sins of the previous year. Traditionally, 107 bells are rung on the last day of the year and then the 108th in the new year. So they would ring 107 and then at midnight, the 108th bell would ring. That sounds really loud and kind of obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, I I would probably lose count. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, can you imagine being the guy like standing there pulling this string like 68, 69, 70. How tiring would it be to pull a bell that many times? Because bells are kind of hard to ring, I think. Uh, yeah, that's what Quasimodo, Quasimodo, Quasimodo t- did. taught me. Huh. Well, if you've actually rung bells before in your life, let us know. Because if it's 108 and it's hard, then this could be a good workout. You know? Yeah. Could start your New Year's resolution of going to the gym off right by ringing the bell <laughs> <Yeah>. 108 times. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, those traditions made my traditions feel less weird, which my traditions weren't weird. Anyway. I feel like I want to adopt at least one of them. I know. I want to do the grape one. I kind of want to do the jumping off chairs one. <laughs> Maybe not at the same time. Right. <laughs> Choking hazard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so. That's that's pretty much it for this episode and our last episode of the year. Mm-hmm. It's been fun. It's been it's been a fun year. It's been interesting in a lot of ways, but it's also been fun. We started this podcast. Yeah, that's so true. This is going to be this upcoming year will be the first year that we've started the whole year through podcast wise. Um, but we're gonna leave you here now. We hope you all have a great great new year's eve we hope that this next year will be the best year yet for you yeah and we just hope that you all have a great time tomorrow night so make sure you stay safe and we will catch you on the next episode we have new episodes every monday and wednesday that you can find wherever you get podcasts if you liked what you heard today and you know someone else who would like it to send this their way as always you can reach us at i heard it on a podcast at gmail.com this kind of reminded me of our previous uh, New Year's Eve last year. It feels like that was such a long time ago. So long ago. Like, <laughs> it doesn't even feel like the same no. <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was just one year. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah.